Someone wrote, Christianity at any given time is strong or weak, depending upon her concept of God. The basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. In other words, it's a lack of understanding of how great and how big our God is. Now, as I thought about that, it made me wonder, if we just had a different perspective, I mean, if we just had a different understanding of who God is, would that change how we deal with the challenges and the circumstances of life? And you know what? I think it would, wouldn't it? I mean, I think it would affect and change both us as believers, but also us as a church. If you've looked on the steps, you'll see some boxes that are lined up across the front here. And most of us have had our share of these as we've moved from one place to another. In fact, we're going to be collecting boxes before long because that's exactly where I'm at. You know, so, so I understand this. And as you look at these boxes, they're just big enough to fit stuff in. Uh, but small enough to get your arms around to carry, right? So you can put things in them, but they're small enough you can pick them up and carry them, even pick up maybe more than one at a time. I mean, you can handle them without too much trouble. Now, here's why they're here. It's because they represent how many of us live our lives. Our boxes are just big enough to hold our concept of God, but not so big that we can't handle them. I mean, they're just big enough to put what we believe God is like inside, but not too big that we can still pick it up and and carry our God around with us. And so we say, okay, God, this is your space. This is your box. This is your new home. And there may be a lot of reasons why you have your God in a box, but I'm hoping that after today you'll see that no matter how big our box is, it is still too small to contain our God. God doesn't do boxes, okay? God doesn't do boxes. And here's why that makes a difference. Because if your God fits in a box, then your life will be dominated by fear and anxiety and stress and pressure. Why? Because your God isn't big enough to handle the stuff of life. He's not big enough to fix things. He's not big enough to heal or to give you hope. So let me ask you, what would happen if our perception of God changed? I mean, what would happen? What would that look like? What could he do through you or through this church if we stopped putting him in a box and we simply set him free to do what only he can do? I mean, how amazing would that be? Now, here's the cool thing that you'll discover as you go through the Bible. God is way too big to fit in any box that you'll try to put him in. He's way too big. Pray with me as we begin today. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for these next few moments. But more importantly, God, I thank you for being God. I thank you for being so big that nothing can contain you. Help us to remember that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This morning I want to look at the story of David. I want to look at his life before he became king, before he actually took the throne. 
Because what we'll discover will hopefully help us in setting our God free. So if you got your Bibles, or if you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen, or there may be a Bible in front of you. Um, but I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where we're going to begin in a moment. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let me, let me kind of set the stage for you. At this point in time, David's about 15 years old, so he's just a teenager. And he's working as a shepherd for his father, Jesse. Now, even though it was a dangerous and tasking job, being a shepherd, let me tell you, it didn't give you any status at all in the community. I mean, it was really looked down on. They were looked as, in some ways, almost as criminals. They were just put out. They were the lowest of the low. I mean, the job description basically read, watch and protect the sheep at all costs. That was it. Now, David was also a gifted musician. He was a gifted songwriter. All you got to do is look at the Psalms, and you can be able to see that and understand how gifted David was. So he would pass the time out in the fields by singing and by writing. And not only did he sing, but he would also practice shooting his slingshot. And that's what David is doing in 1 Samuel chapter 16. He's just watching sheep. He's just slinging rocks, and he's singing to his sheep. That's his life right now. Now, as we come into chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, what we find is we find a very important day in the life of David's family. It's important because the prophet Samuel is going to come to their house to anoint the next king of Israel. You see, the next king was going to come out of the house of Jesse. Now, David has seven brothers, and in their, in their father's eyes, they are the candidates for the job of king. So Jesse's gotten them ready, man. I mean, he's got them decked out in their church clothes, you know. He's got their resumes all ready to go. And so he has them all ready, all seven of them except David. David's just out in the field. Watching the sheep. And Jesse comes to their house to anoint the king. But he doesn't know which son God has chosen. So when he gets there, he meets the first son. And here's what we read in verse 6 of 1 Samuel 16. Follow along. This is what it says. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel's like, game over, man. Game over. This guy, God, this is the guy you want. Man, he is a natural-born leader. After all, look at his resume, God. I mean, this has got to be the guy. Send the rest of the brothers back into the back room because there is no need to go any further. We found our next king. But Samuel's choice is not God's choice. And God says, no, wait a minute. He may look good to you, but he's not the one. He's not the one I'm choosing. Now, it's interesting because in some ways, Samuel has a box that his God fits in. I mean, he still has in his mind the type of person God is going to use. So he judges based on what he sees. But look at verse 7. Look what God says. God says, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I've rejected him. The Lord does not look 
at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearances or appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, Samuel, dude, you're looking at the wrong things. You're focused on the outward. I'm focused on the heart. And that's why I've rejected him. So Samuel works his way all the way through all the brothers, but none of them are chosen by God. So at this point, Samuel's not sure what to do. He doesn't know that there's another brother, so he simply says, hey, Jesse, is there anybody else here? I mean, do you got somebody hiding in the back that you don't want me to see? Is there anybody that we can bring out here? Because God has said the next king is coming from the house of Jesse. So Jesse says, well, there is one more son, but he's the youngest, and he's out tending sheep. Now, here's what's interesting. The Hebrew word for youngest means the runt of the litter. How would you like your dad to say, hey, dude, man, you're just the runt of the litter. That's why you're out tending sheep. That's why these guys are dressed up, ready to become king. You're just the runt of the litter. That's what he thought of David. So Samuel sends for David, and David shows up, and in verse 12, look what it says. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Can you imagine what had to go through Jesse's mind at that time? He's got to be thinking, God, you got to be kidding me. And think about the brothers. All these brothers who have this amazing resume, who are decked out in their church clothes, and God says, no, it's the run of the litter. I'm choosing David, the one that smells like sheep right now. He's going to be the next king. And on that day, David is anointed as the next king of Israel. Now, I want to give you three takeaways today as we progress through this, but here's the first one. God uses people you'd never expect, including you. I want you to underline that. I want you to remember that. God uses people you would never expect, including you. You see, the problem is at times we carry around this box mark. You know, we got this box marks, the people that God will use. And so we have these people that we think God's going to use. We put them in this box, and we assume that he's only going to use a certain type of person. He's only going to use the person who looks right, who dresses right, who has the degree, who smells right, who reads all the latest books, who's wired the right way, and who has the right talents and the gifts. And because we may not fit that mold, we struggle in our Christian life, never really feeling like God can use us. Ever felt that way? You ever felt like you didn't measure up to what you think the person is that God uses? You ever felt like that? You ever feel like you're just kind of back here and and in the background, but God wants to use all these people up here? You ever felt that way? But this is what God says. God says, don't put my anointing in a box and then tape it shut because I'm going to use the people that you would never think I would use. Get that? Don't you dare put God's anointing in a box and then tape it shut and say that God's only going to use a certain group of people, and obviously that's not me. 
And as we have seen in David's life, God's choice of David is no different. He comes on the scene fresh out of the pasture, smelling like sheep, while his brothers are all decked out in their suits and ties, ready for the big interview. And yet it is David that God chooses. You see, from an earthly perspective, his brothers have the right look and the right appearance, but God's not looking at the outward. He's looking at the heart. And so while we look for the smartest and the most gifted, the best looking, the most athletic, God is looking for those who are available. So maybe the question you ought to be asking yourself is this, am I available for God? Because that's really the question. Am I available for God? He wants to use those who want to be used, whose hearts are surrendered to him and who will give him the glory for all he does. And so we say, I don't know if I can do that. After all, I'm too old. And God says, remember Abraham and Sarah, man. They were almost antiques, and yet I used them to start a nation. But you might say, well, I feel too guilty because of my life and the things that I've done. And God says, well, once you remember Rahab because she was a prostitute who I used to help the people of Israel take Jericho. Or you might say, I'm too scared and I'm too afraid. And God says, remember Gideon who was hiding from his enemies when I called him a mighty warrior. And this is the picture we get of God throughout the Bible. He can and will use anybody who's willing to be used. In fact, he used a poor teenage girl named Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. He chose a sinful and hated tax collector named Matthew to be his disciple. He chose an uneducated fisherman named Peter to see, that, to see the church set on fire. And he chose a persecutor of Christians named Saul who became Paul to write most of the New Testament. God can and will use anybody. So whatever you do, don't put God's anointing in a box and tape it shut. Because God will use whomever he wants to use to do his kingdom work as long as they're available to be used. So again, the question is, are you available? Let's go back to our story. Because after David's anointed king, he initially goes back to being a shepherd. He just goes back to slinging rocks, singing for the sheep, because he's not going to actually take the throne for another 15 years. Now, I think it would have been a hard thing to know that you're going to be the next king, but you're just killing time watching sheep. I mean, that would have been tough, wouldn't it? To know you've just been anointed, anointed the king, and yet you're still just out in the field watching sheep. I mean, that had to be a tough thing for David to do. And he must have thought, God, when are you going to do something in my life? When are you going to give me that big opportunity to show who I am? What he didn't know is that time was about to come. And it happens in chapter 17. So flip over to chapter 17 because here things are going to change. And as we come into chapter 17, David's now just not quite 20 years old. The reason we know that. It's because he's not old enough to fight with the army. 
So Jesse calls him from out of the fields and says, David, the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, and your brothers are out there fighting. I want you to go check on them. I want you to go take them some food. Just make sure they're okay. So David leaves the sheep. He goes out to where the Israelites are fighting, and there is no fighting going on. There's no battle. Nobody's fighting. Instead, there's a giant named Goliath who is mocking the armies of God. And the Philistines have challenged the Israelites. They've said, here's what I want to do. We're going to put our best warrior, Goliath, up against your best warrior. Whoever loses the fight to the death, their nation will become the slaves of the victorious nation. So there's a lot riding on this challenge, isn't there? And the Bible says in verse 11 that when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and they were deeply shaken. But when David hears this challenge, remember he's the runt of the litter, right? He's the runt of the litter. When he hears this challenge in verse 26, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? In other words, why is this pagan being allowed to talk smack against the armies of God. I mean, who does he think he is? Somebody needs to shut him up. And so David goes to Saul and simply says, hey, don't worry about the Philistine. I'm going to take him out. And I can imagine Saul and the rest of the people standing around breaking out in laughter, going, yeah, right. You're going to take him out. You're the runt of the litter. You watch sheep. You're going to take him out. But here's the thing. There was no other option. Literally, there was no other option. Verse 33 says, Saul replied, You were not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You were only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Saul's going, Now, wait a minute. You're a harpist who plays and sings to sheep. What are you going to do? Hit him over the head with your harp? I'm not sending, him, uh, I'm not sending a harp player out to fight this giant when my head's on the line. But again, he doesn't have a choice. Nobody else is willing to go. So, at le- so he says, okay, David, if you're going to go, then at least put on my armor. The problem is Saul's armor was pretty big. Saul was, I mean, David wasn't. And so it really didn't fit. And so David goes, look, I- I'll wear it if you've got a size small. But if you-, if you don't have a size small, man, I can't wear this. So David goes out to fight with nothing but a slingshot. An incredible amount of faith in a God that's bigger than any giant. And when Goliath sees him coming, he says, Hey, little boy, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. And verses 45 through 47, I love this. Look what David says. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, let me tell you, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing will. I mean, can you imagine this, this 
young boy, probably 19 years old, standing in front of this giant, and with boldness and courage and faith, he looks at him and says, you're mine. You're mine. You might as well just lay down right now and let me cut your head off because God has given you to me. Can you imagine that? Second takeaway. God will use the circumstances of life to prepare us for the opportunities for him to do the impossible. I want you to remember this because it's so important. God is going to use the circumstances and the challenges and the things in your life to prepare you for the opportunities ahead of you for God to do the impossible through you. How awesome is that? I mean, even though David may not have realized that all the time he was flinging rocks, watching sheep, all the times that he had to kill a lion and the bear to protect his sheep, all those times God was preparing him for this very moment. God was preparing him. And like David, you may not realize that you're, you've, that you're training and you are preparing for what God wants to do through you and in you. But you are, you're training and you're preparing and God's saying, in the future, you're going to understand why you're going through this. You're going to understand why you've had to experience this. You're going to understand why, because I'm going to use you in a great way. And if you allow me to use you, the impossible is going to happen. Let me tell you, in the last 37 years of ministry, we went through several periods where it was very ugly and, and very bad church experiences. I've told you this before, man, Christian people can be the ugliest and meanest at times. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the reality of life. And I can't tell you the, the number of times that we were treated in a way that you would have thought, instead of being in a church, we were in a bar somewhere, and people were just drunk, just throwing out stuff at you. And I look back on all those times, and I could see God preparing me for when I came to this place right here. Or where I'm going in the future. I could see how God was preparing me. And he was using those circumstances in my life to prepare me for what he had that was greater. That was going to give him glory. And he's preparing you now for the very same thing. He's preparing you for something that's down the road. Something that's around the next turn. Let me tell you, he will not waste he will not waste what you're going through. He will use it to prepare you for something good, something great, something will bring, that will bring glory to his name. So the question you need, to, you need to answer is this. What is God preparing me to do? What's God preparing me to do? What giant is he wanting me to slay in order for his kingdom to advance? What giant is standing in front of you right now that God wants you to slay He's given you the ability to slay it so that his kingdom may go forward and he may be glorified. What is it in your life right now that God's preparing you for? Brings me to the last takeaway, and it's this. There's nothing you'll ever face that's too big for God. There's nothing you'll ever face that's too big for God. You see, the key for David was this. He knew who his God was. And he knew what he could do. And that's why when the dust settled, 
Goliath was dead and God was glorified. Remember back in verse 11, it said that the Saul and the army of Israel were scared to death. Why? Because they had a small God. And they had put their God in a small box. And when that happens in our life, we will always be consumed with fear and doubt. And we'll always ask the what if questions, won't we? The what ifs. For them, it was what if Goliath wins? Or what if the nation of Israel becomes slaves? Or what if they take our land? And for us, it's what if the economy doesn't recover? Or what if it's cancer? Or what if I spend the rest of my life alone? Or what if there's another terrorist attack? Or what if the next tornado gets too close to my house? What if, what if, what if, what if? And when your God lives in a small box, the what ifs will dominate your life. Understand that. When your God's in a small box, the what-ifs will dominate you. Back in verse 33, Saul tells David that it can't be done. You know what I've learned over the years? That's the very lie the enemy wants you to believe. That's the lie he wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that God can't do it and that it can't be done. And that's the lie you'll believe when God's in a small box. God can't do it. God can't heal me. God can't forgive me. God can't use me. God can't provide for me. God can't redeem me. And the list can go on and on. And David's response is, you bet he can. And I don't know who your God is, but David says, I serve the God of the impossible. Do you? Do you serve the God of the impossible? Or do you serve a God that you've put in one of these boxes? Here's the thing. Saul and all of Israel was focused on a giant named Goliath. David was focused on God. They saw an obstacle. David saw an opportunity for God to show his awesome power. So let me ask you, are you trying to fight your own battles? And whose strength are you relying on, yours or God's? As David said, the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's reflect. Let me ask you, do you believe that God can use anybody to do anything at any time? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can use anybody at any time to do his work and his will? Do you? Because I hope you do. And the question now becomes, do you believe he can use you? Because you're part of that anybody. Do you believe that God is preparing you for what he has for you in the future? I mean, do you believe that the circumstances and the things you're going through right now, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard they may be, do you believe and do you see that God can be preparing you for what he has for you down the road? Do you believe that? Let me ask you, do you believe that your God is bigger than any giant that you'll ever face in your life? Do you believe it? Because if you don't believe it, then your God is too small. And if you're not sure, then this will help you to know how big or how small your God is. If you want your God to make your life comfortable and convenient, if you treat him like a magic genie that exists just to grant your every wish, 
If you want him to operate on your timetable and your calendar, if you want to play it safe and take no risks, guess what? Then your God is too small. If your God says your marriage is too messed up, your family is too fractured, you're too young, young, you're too old, you're too broken, you're too poor, or you're too guilty to be used by me, then your God is too small. And if your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your plans, if he never asks you to do something that you thought couldn't be done, if he has never filled your eyes with tears because of his grace or taken away your breath because of his power, then your God is too small. Let me be very honest with you. If that's your God, then it's time to open up the box that you're holding him hostage in and release him. It's time to free him. And it's time to allow God to do what only God can do in your life. Here's what I want us to do. Judy found this amazing song. You would, you would have thought it was written just for this message. But that's how God works. As it's being sung on video and the words will be on the screen, and as you listen to it, I'm just going to be down here. And if this is you, if you've struggled with putting God in a box, if you've struggled with thinking that you can't be used, if you've struggled with focusing on your circumstances rather than focusing on what God may have for you in the future, if you struggle with those giants in your life thinking, I can never overcome them, then you need to come and just come right down here because I want to pray with you. And we symbolically just want to release God out of his box so that he can have full reign in our life and have full reign in this church. I want you to listen. And I want you to come if this is you.